So hi again, everyone. I am going to, as I mentioned, talk about um, the human condition, which is not necessarily a Buddhist topic per se, but on the other hand, it really is. Um, the reason this came up for me is it's over the last week, I've been talking to so many people who've had so many different experiences in their lives, um, a lot of uh, a lot of big deals, a lot of health stuff going on for a lot of people. Um, and then I was uh, also catching up on some talks and things that people had sent me here. I think you'd like this podcast, read this article, those kinds of things. I had them all piled up in my inbox and I was going through them and there were a lot of um, stories in there uh, that really impacted me and what and what was coming up for me was this this feeling of the 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 fullness of humanity of this broad expanse of all our experiences that they're so varied and they're so human it's not that any of these were outliers. It was just um, because there were so many different experiences and so many different stories. I just kind of w took a step back and just saw this broad expanse. And that's when the, the, the term, the human condition, um, popped into my mind. And uh, so I wanted to look at that. It's... it's um, I think it's really important because I remember when I first acknowledged that I was experiencing the human condition, it was not a pleasant uh, awakening and because um, I kind of wanted to be on the outside, kind of how do I get around it, but obviously that can't happen because I am human. Um, so I wanted to look at it. What, is, what does it even mean? What does human condition mean when we say that, when we use that term? How do we greet it or how do we avoid it and how do we sit with it? How do we hold our humanity? How do we hold all these experiences? And, you know, I think it's a theme. It's been a theme with me lately. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of the core of Buddhist teaching is like how do, we, how do we stay present with what's happening in our world? I mean, our personal world and, and the world around us. And I think... Um, it's been a theme because, A, the pandemic has um, turned the world upside down, has turned our lives upside down, some to a greater or lesser extent. Some of us are impacted um, really greatly by it. Others, not so much, but it does have an impact, and the ripples are going to continue. They're continuing, and they're going to continue for a while, um, maybe because... Uh, I've been exposed to the suffering and discomfort and, and pain of so many people lately. And, and joy. I don't want to just focus on the one side, but that's kind of where we always go. It's like the suffering, but there's also joy. There's the full, you know, the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, which is a, such a lovely term. So I've been exposed to this. It's kind of uh, right there. And um, I've been, what's, what's coming up for me is the fragility of this body and this life. Um, we have, sometimes we have this idea of our immortality or we have this, this idea of um, not me. It's kind of the brain, a brain's way of protecting ourselves, but it's also um, false. 
because we are incredibly fragile and um, aware and have been aware of our reality and whether it's our, um, you know, the, the, the ramifications of systemic inequality and oppression or just the randomness of life. Because life can be so random. I mean, there can be this overarching um, systemic um, destruction, this, this world driven by, driven by greed and hatred and ignorance, or there's just the randomness of stepping on a banana peel um, or seeing a beautiful sunrise, you know, to capture both sides of it. So to that, I, I think that's why maybe it's been a theme for me, but it's also important to keep that, keep that awareness of, of the reality in mind. Um, so what does human condition actually mean? First thing I did was go to Google and type in human condition and get um, Wikipedia, you know, that, that great vast font of knowledge, said the human condition is all of the characteristics and key events that compose the essentials of human existence, including birth, growth, emotion, aspiration, conflict, and mortality. This is a very broad topic which has, has been and continues to be pondered and analyzed from many perspectives, including those of religion, philosophy, history, art, literature, anthropology, psychology, and biology. And as a literary term, the human condition is typically used in the context of subjects such as the meaning of life or moral concerns. And so... Um, that is that is kind of a huge, a huge uh, bucket for, you know, it is life. It's it's how we how we um, it's why all all the things we experience or many of the things we experience in this world. It's because we're human beings, and it also, when I was reading this, it also reminded me of the Buddha's teaching of the Four Noble Truths, especially the First and Second Noble Truth. The First Noble Truth is that there is suffering. There is suffering. There is dukkha in this world. And the Buddha describes it as birth, aging, sickness, unpleasant, unpleasantness, separation from things we love, not getting what we want, and um, different sensory experiences can be um, uncomfortable. Sounds, smells, sights, thoughts, physical sensations. And the root, the second noble truth is that the root, the cause of this suffering is our attachment and our desire, our craving for things to be good all the time or a cra a, the craving for our scenario to unfold the way we want it to unfold. This idea of how we think things should be when it doesn't roll out the way we think they should, things should roll out, there's suffering that happens. We, we get caught up in anger. We get caught up in grief or sadness or any number of emotions, um, any number of stories, judging ourselves, judging others, critiquing. We just get caught up and this... There's the discomfort of the reality of loss. You know, if we lose a loved one, there's that pain. And then there's the extra level, you know, the, the wonderful teaching of the second arrow where we get shot by an arrow, which is the original 
discomfort and then the second arrow is the then we judge ourselves or we go it shouldn't have happened or they did it the blame whatever so that is where we um cause this um extra level of discomfort there's the reality of a human being a human being but there's so much denial around it there's so much denial around it um, and this teaching just thoroughly resonates with me because I've seen in my own life this scenario that I had that just kind of, it's not that I sat down and wrote out this script for my life, um, but it just kind of, I don't think any of us do. Ma, some of us might, but most of us don't. And these, uh, but we go through life with these ideas of, of how things should be. And we suffer when it doesn't, it doesn't match up with the way things are. And um, that, that's part of the human condition, is reality. Reality is the human condition. And when we meet reality with denial or anger or wanting something else, that's when we cause so much discomfort. And um, how do we greet it or avoid it? How do we greet it or avoid it? And it reminded me of, I said earlier that my first acknowledgement of being subject to the human condition was, uh, oh, shit, not me too. Um, because my, my, my story around this is that I, um, what was I thinking? Oh, my, you know, my father died when I was five years old and there was never any conversation about it in my family. It's like my mom came home and said, your dad's not coming home anymore and here's your dinner and we all went about our lives. So there was no attention to it. And so there are emotions that I don't remember actually having, um, but that were probably in there. And then um, living um, with a mother who was unfortunately uh, suffered from mental illness, undiagnosed, but in, diagnosed later, but just she and I. And so there was a lot of impact on my life by my upbringing that kind of just got pushed away because there were no channels to deal with it. There were no things that I had nothing no way of dealing and the way I dealt with it was just to keep it inside and everything's fine everything's wonderful la, 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 la. in fact I'm looking at a plaque they gave me when I I, I started working I had been a temp um, for many for a while at this place and when they finally hired me they gave me a nameplate that said little Mary sunshine because everything was always fine all the time I just I still have it Little Mary Sunshine, everything's fine all the time, uh, which is obviously nonsense, but I didn't know how to deal. And so I did a lot of coping, I used a lot of coping mechanisms that were very self-destructive, very self-destructive. I ate, I drank, I did all those things. And when, when I finally was able to give that stuff up, um, I, I moved through life and I was fine. Everything, things were good until I actually got into this practice. Because the Buddha talks about, um, you know, I talked about suffering. And the word dukkha is usually translated as suffering. But it also means dissatisfaction and discontent. It actually, the word originally refers to a wheel that's off its axle 
or you know that supermarket cart that you get that basket that just doesn't quite go in the direction you want it to go in that's dukkha this sense of unease and i had that sense of unease and i came to um i came to formal practice many years ago and when i finally sat down and the mind was quieted what comes up is what's underneath those things that have been buried for so many years start start coming up to the surface and there comes a point um there's a chance there's a, ch- a moment where there's a choice to either stay still and be with or find another distraction jump back into delusion jump back into distraction take the mind away from the present which is what we're so adept at doing and i made the choice to stay present and i made the choice to say hello to all those deep emotions that had been there for so many years the grief of my father's loss i'm talking decades decades later who knew i was a great one for no big deal no big deal, very being very dismissive and so this willingness to turn towards these emotions that are part and parcel of humanity that that's when i was first diagnosed i can't remember if somebody said it to me or it occurred to me but it was like oh i am also subject to the human condition and what happened was this big sense of relief because it's really hard to keep running ahead it's like um outrunning a a, a tsunami or a tidal wave or something or of course there's all these um my husband and I like to joke there are these um disaster movies like earthquake where you see the people running and the earth is separating behind them and they're running just enough to get away from the great fault or whatever it is and it's like eventually you run out of breath and you get swallowed up and so running doesn't work and so the invitation of this practice the invitation of this teaching is to be with is to acknowledge the human condition acknowledge that there is birth and growth and emotion and aspiration and conflict and mortality or aging sickness death we're separated from those things we love in the in the buddhist teaching there's the five remembrances i'm of the nature to grow old get sick and die everything i have um will be taken from me all i have are my actions i mean that is key as much as we want to deny it or or work our way around it it's really important to recognize that um we don't turn away we may scream and kick but we don't turn away um and i was it was interesting one of the things i listened to the other day someone sent me a podcast on it was a it was a an episode of it was an episode of on being but with Krista Tippett except she didn't um she wasn't involved in it she uh it was a conversation between a man named Wajahat Ali and a woman named Kate Barlow I think I have it here let me um Kate Bowler and Wajahat Ali and Kate Bowler is a uh, assistant or associate professor of uh Christianity at Duke University 
and she was diagnosed six or so years ago in her early 30s with fourth stage four colon cancer and given a one year uh, a, a one year to live and she's been working with this for six years and she's still alive and Ali had a daughter who was diagnosed, I can't remember what kind of cancer, maybe kidney cancer, because he said she had a kidney transplant, when she was an infant. And so these two people both came up face-to-face -face with life, with the human condition, with the randomness of it, which is something we think we can work our way around. The randomness won't hit. And so they had a very interesting conversation about finding the way through with the messiness of this existence that we have and how to connect with the meaning of, of an existence that you actually have this possible uh, end date for experience. Um, and Kate Bowler, am I getting her name right? I can't remember this. I'll put the I'll put the um, link for the yeah Kate Bowler I'll put the link in the chat later. Um, she talked about you know um, how she works with it and one one interesting story she told she was on a tenure track at Duke, and to get tenure you have to publish a book and publish X number of peer reviewed articles and do all other assorted things before you will be considered for tenure. So she was just getting ready to write this book when she received the diagnosis and she had the question and she said, do I write this book that no one will read, that maybe I won't finish, that I'm not going to get tenure anyway because even if I get tenure, I don't have tenure. I have this diagnosis. And she goes, why would I do it? And then she realized she absolutely loved, she was a total geek and a nerd, and she said, this brings me joy. She also had small children. And so she said, this brings me joy. And what she, so she did, she wrote the book, and she finished it, and um, she realized that it's about making decisions in the moment, not with the scenario, because her scenario got tossed out the window. Our scenarios are just kind of parameters, containers for us to move through the world, but we have to not be really attached to them. That's like the instructions in meditation, relax the body, relax the mind. Let, allow the scenario to be there, using the memory, using making plans. You know, people say, well, if we have to be in the present moment, how do I know what I'm supposed to do next week? And it's like, it's not about never, you know, totally having blinders on and, oh, not allowed to think about the past, not allowed to think about the future. No, it's about being aware, being um, fully present and aware of the future and aware of the past. So she said we have, what was she saying? It's like we have to make decisions based on each moment. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was talking about Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. I was talking about the meaning of life. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor, and he, his, his premise in the book he wrote and the, and the teachings he offered was, we have this moment, and how do we show up in this moment? Recognizing that stuff's just going to come at us, whether it's the randomness of life, being diagnosed with um, 
um, cancer or or in a car wreck or whatever it is, having a, getting COVID in these days, or having this incredible systemic oppressive regime throw you in a concentration camp because of your faith, because you're Jewish. So how do you show up in each moment? How do you work with this randomness, with this, this, um, with the human condition? That's the invitation is to recognize that it's not personal. It's the human condition. How are you going to show up? What's going to, what's going to support you and sustain you in this moment? Finding that, um, recognizing that it happens, that, that we're not promised anything except this moment. Um, what I was, what I was thinking about, um, uh, when I was, uh, reflecting on this the other day is, is the necessity of a self-examined life, um, because that, The, the teachings of, the, of this practice, the Buddhist teachings of, you know, the Four Noble Truths, recognizing that we get caught up in craving and aversion, and that's what causes so much of our suffering, our dissatisfaction, our wanting things to be the way we want them to be, and our saying no to reality, that causes so much discomfort. And when we take away our pet stories, how do we show up in the world? And the teaching around kindness and compassion and treating beings with, with dignity and respect, with living with integrity, you know, the Eightfold Path. I did that series just recently in the Eightfold Path and how we show up. That's a foundation. And I heard it in so many of these things that I was listening to and reading over the last week, including this conversation with Ali and Bowler. It was about love and kindness and compassion and how do we find that connection with others? And recognition that, um, you know, there, there's this foundation, these teachings that support us. But we each find our individual way with it. It's not one size fits all. That's really important. You know, the Buddha said that when he was dying. His, his, his monk said, what do we do when you're gone? He said, I've offered you these teachings. Now find your own way with them using the clarity of seeing, okay, this is what's happening, and the compassion and kindness to do what makes the most sense, which do, what doesn't cause harm. You know? Be willing to face what needs to be faced. Um, can you be present wholeheartedly? And taking care of yourself. It doesn't mean like, I'm just going to do this. Uh, striving. It also means being gentle and kind. Skillful means. What makes the most sense? Sometimes you just have to kick back and do nothing. In my case, watch baseball games all day long. Because I like doing that. Um, sometimes. Or reading a book or going for a walk or, or having a cup of tea with friends. Sometimes that's what you do. Finding what makes sense for you in a way that's supportive and wise. So important. Um, it means saying yes. It means saying yes to reality. One of my favorite phrases, we don't win a fist fight with reality. Reality always wins. So say yes to it and work with what's present. Okay, 
there is a diagnosis of cancer or there is or there is this thing crappy how do i work with it there is systemic racism there how do okay crappy it's here what do we do instead of going no you can't be this way and it's like well you know it is this way how what's the next step what do we do next that's how it is um and be willing to hold those emotions, the difficult emotions, and the pleasant emotions. Some of us have challenges with joy and, and happiness and kindness because there's, there's this judging voice, not worthy. We're not worthy. Should, should. Other people have it bad, so how can I be happy? You have, to be, you have to be with what is in this moment. If there's joy, be joyful. You know, and um, I was listening to a, a little... Uh, a thing by Larry Ward the other day, who's a wonderful um, Zen teacher. He wrote the book America's Racial Karma last year, and he was talking about change, and he said it can only happen at the experiential level. I'm sure you've all, and, and, and that made sense to me because I can make all the changes and ideas and thoughts in my mind, but until it trickles down, until I am actually experiencing the change and making a difference and being willing to open up and hold what's here and shift how I respond, paying attention to um, the emotions that may be present, the feelings that may be present. You know, the Buddha talks about that in, in, in the foundation is the establishment of mindfulness. Know when things are present. Know when there's anger and greed and lust and conceit and fear, know when this is happening. Be present with it. We can't just say, yeah, I'm going to do that next time. I mean, we start out that way, but eventually it makes the journey down into the heart, into the body. Um, and to be willing to experience those things that we've kept trapped for so many years. Let them up. So it's this, this meeting, this groundedness that we develop, that we have when we, when we really are willing to embrace the human condition. Because there's no getting around it. It's here. It's just how are we going to hold it? How are we going to hold it? And then the other question was that came up in that conversation between um, Bowler and Ali was, um, is there a finish line? Do we ever get to the point where we go, okay, I'm done now. Now I'm now I have completed my bucket list, which she wrote. Oh, somebody sent me an article that she and Kate Bowler had written about um, bucket list. It's just you know setting up more to dos for ourselves that may not necessarily be um, wise or skillful. Um, so um, it was a good article. It was interesting. Anyway, and I also heard somebody else call it experiential capitalism. That there's this. Uh, here, do this, and then your life will be complete. And it's like, is it ever? Is it ever? And can we let go of that idea that it's supposed to end a certain way? Because it's so random and things change all the time. Things change all the time. So um, I think that's all I have about the human condition. I'm sure there's more, but that's all I'm going to say. So 
Thank you, my friends, as always, for your kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.